So as I said, church, just so that this is recorded, it was a difficult night last night and in uh, the wake of the tragedy. However, we are commanded as preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be ready to preach both in season and out of season. So if I miss a little bit this morning, I might be just a little out of season, okay? But I want us to continue because people are transformed and are actually reconditioned by the hearing of the word. How will they know if someone doesn't preach to them is what the scripture says. So regardless of circumstances or situations, I feel like we must go on because that's where our faith is increased is actually through hearing the word of God. So today we're going to look to increase our faith. We're going to see that, that the word of God stands the test of times. It is forever. It is for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So as we jump back into our Culture of Honor series. I was really excited about this message this morning. A couple of reasons why, because there are going to be some things that are said this morning that you possibly apply and don't recognize it or realize it in your life, or there are going to be things this morning that are said and you're like, I know that person. And that person puts a lot of pressure, a lot of unnecessary stress on me and my life. You may be married to that person. I hope not. Right? But sometimes it's that very person that's turning the key of pressure and stress in your life. And, and, and that's a difficult thing. It's a difficult uh, way to work throughout life, right? When the two are supposed to be one flesh, but this flesh is a lot bigger than the other flesh. If you know what I mean. So as we jump into this, church... I want you to hear a couple of things. When I embrace honor as the virtue and the culture of heaven, I'm creating the environment of heaven on earth. So when we begin to become a culture of honor, we're embracing the heavenlies because our God is a God of honor. Our God honored us, and we went through that a couple of weeks ago. And through that, we honor Him, we worship Him, we praise Him. And yet at the same time, we learn to honor one another because we are told and taught throughout the scriptures to hold everyone in a valuable way. For God so loved the world, and so should we. So should we. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, watch this. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now I'm about to move quickly. Stay with me. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 11. Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence Twice. Now watch this. Psalm 19, the very next chapter. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night David made good his escape. 1 Samuel chapter 20, another chapter uh, away, and it says this, But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. There is something going wrong in Saul's life. Saul is a king. He has a kingdom. He has an opportunity to have all of these people at his, at his disposal, if you will. And yet, we are told through Scripture that as this young man named David comes into his presence and begins to play his harp, that Saul's countenance changes. And yet when he quits, what happens? He begins to rage towards this young man, David. He tries to pin him to the wall. Now, it's one thing to throw a spear and try to hit someone. It's another thing to try to pin them to the wall. That's a rage. Any, ever, any of you ever worked for someone like that? You don't have to. Okay, we don't have to. We don't have to testify this morning, all right? 
That'll get us in trouble here. You've got to keep your job sometimes just for a season. So here we go as we look at this. I want us to talk about control because control will lie to you. See, Saul operated from a spirit of fear. And this is where control operates from. It operates from a spirit of fear. Control doesn't mean you're the strongest. Control doesn't mean you're the smartest. Control doesn't mean that you made it to the top of, of, of your industry or of your job. Control is an illusion. And we say this oftentimes here that control is an illusion. However, control is usually, if not 100% of the time, control is coming or operated from a spirit of fear. See, when those in control lose control, you know something? Everyone is at risk. You ever know someone in control that lost control? You better duck. All right, because things just shifted. Honor is thrown out of the window. There is no safe place. Women, he didn't care if you were safe. He just cared that you were his. You ever known someone like that? Maybe you grew up with controlling parents, controlling spouses, bosses, teachers, etc. We preachers oftentimes say control is an illusion, but what do you do when the illusion is strangling you? See, control operates from a spirit of fear, and what happened with Saul is uh, there are a couple of things that that happen, but, but basically he is starting to lose control. He's starting to lose his position, if you will. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, just back it up just a little bit. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, what he's talking about here, this is David. And of course, uh, what's happening is Saul has not been responsible with the kingdom. Now, let me just spend a little bit of time here on responsibility. Now, you understand, hopefully, or we all understand, that we really don't own anything. We are basically stewards of it. And, and if you're faithful in the little things, the principle of God means this, that he will take you on to bigger things to be responsible with as well. And so we don't necessarily own, I know uh, several people who have their own companies, and that's great, you've been a good steward with a dream. And from that dream, you planted a seed, and from that, that, that seed, you began to water that seed, and it began to grow. But there's no doubt that you have to be responsible with what God has given you. It's the same thing with the church. There's, there's, there's leadership within the church, but the only one that owns the church is Jesus. We are just stewards of His body. That's how it works. And at any time, God can choose for different type of leadership or for different leaders to come in and take the church to its new position or its new place. It's a, it's a part of ironing out the wrinkles, if you will. So here is what happening is what is happening. David is, is now the last of the brothers. He's, he's, and, and, and basically Samuel has said, there is one. Uh, Jesse, you've got a son. I haven't seen him yet. Do you have any other sons? Because I know the Lord has spoken to me. And so he, he says, well, I've got one more. Jesse said, I've got one more. He's tending the sheep. He's a shepherd boy. Now, shepherd boys were really the lowest ones on the totem pole. If you still go over to the Middle East or any of that, that area today, North Africa on over, what you'll find is that shepherds are really uh, 
well, they don't smell very good. Shepherds live in the field with a sheep. And they don't just smell like sheep. I even came across some camel jockeys when I was out there. I guess that's what, I don't know what you call them. But they was rounding up like five or six cows, round them right across the road in front of me in the desert. There's some crazy stuff in it. But, but the deal is they stay out there day in and day out. They protect day in and day out. They may not come in for 12, 14 days in order to even clean up. But here's one. And notice how the scripture writes about him. He had beautiful eyes. And he was handsome. Come on, women. He was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And Saul would continue to remain king for almost 20 years after this. But the anointing, the royal anointing, if you will, was upon David. You know, what do you do when the Lord changes things? When someone else now has the anointing that you once had. See, the Spirit basically left Saul, and now it's upon David. In the very next chapter, you'll find that David kills Goliath, the giant. The Scripture makes it clear that David was small in stature. He was the least of the brothers. He was a shepherd boy, a servant. He was basically taking snacks to his brothers in the field. If you're not even from church, you heard the story of David and Goliath. They've even written books on this that are not supposedly Christian just to tell the story of David and Goliath. So you've probably heard David and Goliath. But Goliath was basically slain by by an anointed young shepherd boy. His strength wasn't in himself. His strength came from the Lord. A giant stands out in front of the, the battlefield. He's in control. He's taunting The Israelites, he's looking for a fight. For 40 days, he taunts the Israelites and places fear in their hearts. Now, this is interesting to me because the kingdom of Israel still belonged to a king, and that king in this day and time was Saul. And so here is Saul, and Saul is the one that probably, listen to me, church, not probably, Saul is the one that should have stepped out as the greatest leader. Saul is the one that should have led his army into the battle. Saul is the one that should have stepped out to the battle line in front of the giant and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? Instead, that was a small shepherd boy as he was running some errands, bringing some cheese and some bread some refreshments, some snacks to his brothers who were standing there watching this giant say, come fight with me. There's David, the least of these. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. That's a small shepherd boy who has the anointing of God rushing upon him. He's bold and it's interesting to me because you've got to see his identity. 
First, he tells Goliath who God is, and then he tells Goliath what his God is going to do through him, this little shepherd boy. I mean, Goliath said, who is this little dog? You're going to send this thing out here. What is this? Are you serious? He thought he was in control. But the truth is, God was in control. You see, he created an environment where he could be glorified. You create an environment when you recognize who God is and what God wants to do through you. You create an environment when you recognize who God is and what God wants to establish, what God wants you to be responsible for, what God wants you to steward well for Him in His kingdom. And that's what's taking place here. Saul created fear and his entire army was fearful. That's the environment he brought with him. But David was confident in who God was and who he was in the Lord's eyes. And he became very powerful. Saul controlled through fear, but David controlled through confidence. One enslaved the people, but the other one set the people free. You know, the Apostle Paul even talks about this in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, not to be yoked to a yoke of slavery. If you are under oppression today, if you are under a controlling person today, most times that's your choice. Because you are, the, you are the child or a child of the one that has anointed you for his kingdom purpose. You can do something about it. We'll talk about that here in a moment. You know, controlling relationships feel like this. I think we have a picture for you this morning. Yeah. The yellow truck, Tonka. I used to do that with my Tonka truck right there. I just like doing that, running over all the other trucks. But see, some of you are the yellow truck. And others of you are the red truck. See, the yellow truck people, remember, authority is not power. Authority is responsibility. What you feel feels like the truth. Why? What you feel is powerful and legitimate. But it may not be in the truth of God. It may be simply in your own truth, your own strength. See, as people, we make most of our decisions based upon how we feel, whether it's true or not. Now, I want to... Talk to both here, the yellow truck and the red truck people for just a moment. Red truck people who feel controlled by yellow trucks. I know how you feel, but you are deceived for a spirit-filled, born-again, adult Christian. The only way for you to be controlled is for you to agree to it. A controller needs a controlee, if you will. Teenagers, this message isn't for you. Let me just throw a little disclosure, a little... little one of those statements in there, you know, this is the little fine print down there. Teenagers, if your parents are controlling you, they're probably setting boundaries on you and, and trying to, to get you to be successful. Anyway, I just had, I've got a couple, but I love them with all my heart. Many who become controlling have good intentions. They are trying to correct things, bring peace, order. They don't feel safe. They are simply afraid because control operates by the spirit of fear. The more we're afraid of something, oftentimes the more we attempt to control it. So as King Saul, he, he began to see that 
uh-oh, I'm losing control. I see this one over here, and he is the anointed one. So what did he do? He became fearful for control to work. Look, both people must agree with the spirit of fear. That's why control feels powerful, but its power is based simply upon deception. If you go to 1 Samuel 16 and you keep reading this, you know, 12 through 14, this is interesting. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Anoint him. And so David's confidence is coming from his relationship with his Lord. See, when David was anointed king, the kingdom was torn from Saul. It took about 20 years for everything to happen. But the spirit eventually left Saul. It rested upon David. David carried the royal anointing. And the royal anointing left Saul through, though David wasn't king yet. As a matter of fact, David had to flee for his life. And you may say, well, he was being controlled. Oh, not necessarily. He was running. He wasn't invited back to the king's palace. Wouldn't have gone well for him after, of course, he and Jonathan had their little talk. I mean, even Saul tried to kill Jonathan. I mean, and then Jonathan wound up fighting with Saul. I mean, it gets crazy. But here's what you see in all of it. You see where one really understands that he is the anointed. A couple of different times when he's hiding in the caves at Agilom, David slips around and he reaches and grabs Saul's robe while he's relieving himself. It's a great time to take one out. But he didn't. What's he do? He holds it up and says, hey, um, you know, I could have, but I didn't. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. You see, he honored him. And in honoring him, he sowed a seed of honor. And through that seed of honor, it took David to a place of knowing who God was and who he was. And his strength truly came from the Lord. See, the only way for control to work is for you to step out of your royal anointing as a child of the Most High God. Saul was already stepping out of his royal anointing, right? He had a fear of man. It's interesting, he even built a monument unto himself. He started to become a masterful controller, so he thought. But he was living in a spirit of fear, a spirit of chaos. David maintained honor of Saul throughout all of their relationship, yet he was never controlled. He wasn't controlled. He had to run. He had to save himself. He had to save uh, his men, if you will. They did go to the caves of Agilom. They had to fight their way all the way up to Hebron. Once they got to Hebron, they stayed there for seven years. But while he was there, he was training a great army. And by the time he got ready to take on the Zionites, they said, you cannot come into this place. There's only one way in, and we'll slaughter all of you. And David just sent his men. My men are anointed too by the Lord. Not only will we take it, but we'll take it today. You see, three powerful truths of the Holy Spirit in you. Three powerful truths. The first one is this. You are powerful. You as a child, as a son or daughter of the Most High God, of the God who created the heavenlies, of the God who strides the stars in the heavens, 
as, as the God who created every molecule on this earth, of, as a God who knew you before you were born, who knit you in your mother's womb, you as a child of this most high God, you are powerful. I loved what Bray had to say the other night at CORE. He said, when did the darkness get permission to tell the light what to do? As soon as we quit understanding who we are is when it happens. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You know, I write that very scripture before I go into important meetings with the church. Yeah, there's a few around here and other places. And before I go in, I write this scripture down. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And usually I underline self-control like five times. Curtis, don't lose it. Remember who you are. See, red trucks, for you people, control is an illusion. Don't back down from conflict. It's necessary, but learn self-control. Press into the Lord in the most difficult times of your life and see what He does through and in you. See, David knew who his God was and the power he had under his anointing. Second thing I would say is your love drives out fear. That God's love in you will cast out fear. I had a missionary friend some years ago in 2004 in March. Uh, we're coming up on the anniversary now who was uh, in Iraq and just simply trying to get some children some water. And anyway, he was ambushed and, and killed. And as a matter of fact, uh, not this Bible, but my Bible back in, in my office on the very back page I have his picture where he had asked me to pray for him and the last note that he wrote me and it's it's interesting to me because when I think of David he had no fear because he was in perfect love he cared more about what was going to happen to the children than he did about his own welfare and his own safety that's maturity greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friends Perfect love cast out all fear. Keeping your love is huge. Knowing who you are in Christ is huge. David simply loved God. He loved his people. It makes me think of Jesus when he's asked, hey, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus says, well, how about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how about this? Learn to love your neighbor as yourself. But you also have to learn to love yourself you've got to know who you are as the child of the most high god so that his anointing can come rushing in and that you will be powerful and the darkness will no longer tell the light what to do but the light will overcome the darkness the third thing you can make choices i say this a lot the most spiritual thing that you'll do today are the choices that you make you have the power to make choices. Isn't it interesting that in the very first part of the Bible, in Genesis, God gave them choices. There were two trees in the garden. Choice 
is important. It is strength. It is power. Self-control means that you can make a healthy, God-honoring choice. You have the strength. You are empowered to do that very thing. And when people see it in you, they see your light and they see how strong and they see your willingness to go the extra mile. Jesus speaks of this. Hey, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. If someone asks asks for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Or swap that. But give them something. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, guess what? You can make a difference because God will empower you even in the most difficult times, in the most difficult areas of your life. You have choices to either follow him or reject him, to listen to his voice or to close your ears and not hear what he has to say. You know, all of us have choices to make. We can be controlling and operate by the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear, it's interesting to me because the spirit of fear kept the one king and his troops from entering into battle. That's what controlled us. It operates by the spirit of fear. But when you know who you are, and we know whose you are, you know where your battle is. Because it's just like Miles said a few weeks ago. If you want to know where your battle is, look for your giant. Where is your giant? Are you being controlled today? Church, are you a controller? Let me ask you this question. What choices are you making? Are they God-honoring? Do you understand that you're simply a steward, a steward of this life? which is very short. As we learned last night or early this morning, shorter for some than others. We've got to steward and steward well. What might your outcomes look like if you begin to understand that control operates by the spirit of fear? And maybe you want control because you're fearful. I want to encourage you this morning to let go and let God. You know, this is a a choice that you can make today. You can, if you're a controller or you feel like you're being controlled, I want to encourage you to come forward and be reminded. You know what? All right, here's something you just take and put in your pocket. God's been working on me with this all week. He's been reminding me that one of my gifts is the gift of exhortation. Some of us need the gift of exhortation to be spoken into our life. You just need to know that you are a child of the living God. And that you are strong in Him. We're here to do that very thing, to exhort the Spirit of God within you. So that the darkness will never tell the light what to do. If you need that prayer this morning, just know we're here to offer that prayer for you. Jesus, I thank you for this church. Father, as I saw the church at work last night, it was amazing. Father, we are so grateful for the body of Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are the hope and the hope for the world. Lord, let us walk this out in our lives. Lord, lead now so that we can be faithful leaders as well. And most importantly, stewards of your kingdom. 
only controlled by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.